Hello, bonjour. Hola, soy Dora. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast where good trivia gets rewarded and bad lies are punished. Marcelo's fatty lies. This is What's the Fact. Ek sê glad nie. My name is Ryan Whittle in Seynam. Even though you're a boy, it's say. <laughs> right. If you were a girl, it would be Harnam. It's very forward thinking of Afrikaans. Seynam is Warren Robertson. Welcome to the show. It's the languages episode. Wet languages. I can even say it. I can say bienvenue. No. Um, Bonjour. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. But that's good evening. Bonjour. It's just good day. Monsieur et Madame, bienvenue de le podcast. <laughs> le podcast. Yeah, I think I think in Afrikaans it's also podcast. <laughs> the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I didn't say Dumelang or Saubona there. I should have said Dumelang and Saubona um, to really kind of get in there and prove my South African credentials. When an when a Afrikaans person walks into game, then like, how much does the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so this this episode is about languages. Oh, yeah, about, it's lovely. I mean, I don't know what languages means as a topic to you. Yeah. It was pretty it's generic. Like, it's one like, oh, languages, that should be interesting. What do I mean? Yeah, what, what is, we, what is what language? Mean, yeah, what does it mean? I, I mean, listen, the stuff I've got lined up, cracking. Yeah, cracking. I think it's Unbelievable. Quite interesting. Unbelievable. Interesting things coming up here. I, I, I love it. Um, yeah, because we, we can see the, the formation of a language over the era because you've got written things. Like English just changed so much and went very weird and... And even today, it's changing a little. Oh, are you yeah. focusing quite a lot on English as a language? Hip-hop, I, I am a little, a little. I suppose it makes sense. This is the one we speak as first language speakers, right? Yeah. You know you know what irritates that? So I was thinking while I was doing that intro, you see quite a lot of podcasts, international ones. Australians love it. New Zealanders love it. British people love it. To, do, to try and do South African accents. And they always try to do this one, you yeah. know. They're always like South Africans, they all sound like this. Yeah. But the thing is, we've got 11 official languages, yeah. right? This is, so let's kick this podcast off on this fact. Ooh. We've got 11, 11 official languages, right? Yes. Which is the most in the world. Hooray! So, so like America's got something like 250 languages get spoken in America, but they've got one official language yeah. being, being some version of English, which isn't quite English. We've got a beautiful, uh, progressive, uh, uniting, inclusive exactly, constitution. Exactly. Eh? Yeah, so we've got, mm. we've got a real, we should have a real firm understanding of, of languages here. Mm. But I think, you know, and, and there's no un, like single South African accent. I want to no. put this out there to the international podcast mm. community. There's no, there's no single South African accent. Mm -mm. So every time... You get on the internet and you try to do a South African accent with like, yo, yo, uh, I went, I went to the shops and then, uh, which you can't do anyway. But um, you, you're just messing it up. Just because those were the guys you met in Wimbledon in London doesn't, <laughs> doesn't mean the rest of us speak like this. A Leonardo in Blood Diamond. Well, this blood is soaking into the earth. <laughs> blood is Wait, was the earth <laughs> red. Was Val Kilmer in, uh, what was it? The a Saint. Saint. The Saint. Okay. I have a farm in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> Who taught you this accent? Do you, Shaka? I mean. <laughs> yeah. I have a farm in Africa. Do you? I now know why you had to descend and to vanish off the A-list and become fat Val Kilmer because <laughs> that alone was worth your absolute ousting 
from Hollywood. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, these are these are real South African. These are heavy South African accents that we've got going here. Mm. Um, but yeah, we're going to be talking about language and not just South African languages. As you say, you're gonna you're gonna track quite a lot of the mm. the English history. I've, mm. I've actually I've had a bit of a look around and I've I've tried to look at languages kind of holistically. And not just real languages either. Um, but, <laughs> but I want to start. I want to start with something that actually I was inspired for this one because my son asked me this week. He said, "What's what's the oldest language?" My son is six. He's twenty eight. <laughs> my son is twenty eight. No, he's six years old. He's it's a nice language. That's a nice question. Yeah, it is a good question, Clever and I couldn't kids. answer him. You know, I didn't. Sure. And unlike most parents, I don't just make something up. I want to make. No, I don't, I don't just. I don't just. Oh yeah, no, that's Egyptian. Egyptian. Yeah, it's Egyptian. It's, it's Mandarin Chinese. <laughs> you know, because chances are you won't remember anyway. But oh, I mean, I lie. My son remembers everything, um, which means I have to be on point with my facts. Mm. Much like on. He'll on come this. back at you. Yeah, He'll yeah. Much like you. on here. But so I went away. I couldn't answer that for him now, and uh, I went away, and I've answered it here. So one day, when when his dad is dead. He can come on the internet and he can discover the answer to a question he had when he was six years old. Because I'm not going to tell him now. I'm not going to go back and tell him in the real world. He's going to have to watch the podcast like everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to have to click like and subscribe, subscribe. share with his friends. Nice. Yeah. Little Asher, cute. Anyway, good. So so what I want to talk about now is is the oldest language, right? Obviously. And and my fact is, my fact is the oldest language is a language called Palaic. That's my fact. Palaic. Yeah, Palaic. Oldest language. I mean, how on earth would they know? Palaic. Is it anything to do with um, what so, the region was called? So it's, a good, the, it's a good question. How, how would they know? Oh. And I think it's it's something that I probably need to like, clarify okay. here for you. Because like. they don't know for sure. Oh, okay. What they have is they've got sources. So when they say, oh, that's the oldest language, what they say is, oh, well, it's probably the oldest language what we're we're working based on here is a source the source is x years old in some cases they've got languages where they go well the source is this year this old but the source actually refers to older older texts you know they talk about uh, the language being centuries old in this particular source okay so we then have to assume that they have in fact been speaking this language for centuries before Mm. so it's so so it can get a little kind of gray area ish Mm. But what I'm speaking about is is quite specifically, this is the language that most people uh, who study these things would would say sure. would say this is this is the language that's most likely the oldest. Wow! Yeah, it's probably sounded like a, like a corner and twaki joke, you know, like the one when I went to their show and they're making um, a mixture for the poor guy on stage to 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 down on to drink and he's like a bit of stony ginger beer. And then he goes, and then we've got the famous root of the knick-knack plant. But he's just putting in knick-knacks in the guy's <laughs> Knick-knack. It's probably got words like knick-knack. Knick-knack. <laughs> wow, that's, that's super racist against this ancient Palaic. Um, like your, your forefathers yeah, maybe, probably yeah. spoke this language. Mm, it was Welsh. I think it was Welsh. I think that's the You think Welsh it is the, the oldest language. language? It's the oldest language in the world. It is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so, so one of the oldest languages definitely is kind of Gaelic mm. because it, it originates with the Celts. Mm. So it is definitely in Europe one of the oldest Ooh. languages that we know about. So perhaps Welsh has got some some claims. Mm. Maybe there's something in there. 
I've never heard of this fact, uh, but I have no reason to think that it might not be true. Palaic, I'll say uh, that your fact is generally correct, you know, based on uh, as best as we can muster in the world of paleontology. No, anthropology. Stuff. Yeah. Language. Etymology. Yeah. Um, oh, etymology. I don't know. I don't know. But um, true, true. No, I started with Orionism. It's Damn a it. lie. Bugger. Uh, Palaic. Yeah, you know we've got uh, cuneiform tablets from the Bronze Age Hattusa, which is circa 16th century BC, so 1,600 years BC. But there are many languages that are older than that. Hurrian, for example, we've got the oldest proof of Hurrian is is from 2,100 years ago. Uh, the oldest Egyptian, oldest form of Egyptian. 2,690 years, 90 BC. As in BC. 2, I think when you said 2,100 years ago, I think you meant 2,100 sorry, sorry. BC. Yeah, yes. 2,100 BC, yeah, yes. sorry. Sure. 2,690 BC is Egyptian. Uh, then about 3,000 years BC is Akkadian. Mm. Um, also 3,000 years BC, Elamite. We've got Hittite from mm -hmm. 1,700 years BC. Mycenaean Greek, which is about one and a half thousand years BC, 1,450 years BC. Um, and these are just the extinct languages. These are just the extinct languages. They are, in fact, uh, living languages. There's modern Greek, you know, which is 3,400 years old uh, at the moment. So also from about one and a half thousand BC. Um, Coptic Egyptian, they reckon, mm -hmm. is 2,200 years old. It's actually dying out. There's very few people that, that actually speak that. Um, <clears throat> Then you've got Sanskrit spoken today still in yes, India. Yes, wow. Yes. Uh, roughly three and a half thousand years Jeez, old. She's just incredible. Yeah. Um, and then Sumerian is is the oldest language that we that we can say, listen, this is definitely, we can date this thing. Three and a half thousand BC Sumerian. Um, it was gradually replaced by Akkadian mm -hmm. and as a spoken language by 2000 BC, but it was in fact spoken for centuries beforehand and and even in 2000 BC, it was being spoken as a as a ceremonial language. Oh. So yeah, about three and a half thousand BC is what uh, we've got. We've got oldest proofs, right? So we've got tablets from then, uh, from around Iraq. It's called the Kish tablets. It's about mm -hmm. three and a half thousand BC. So that that's Sumerian. But there are some who claim that Tamil may be the world's oldest religion. Uh, language. Yeah, I mean, sorry, sorry, language rather than religion, uh, because there are some who claim that it would range from between about 5,320 BC to 8th century uh, CE, somewhere around Jeez. there. So, so 5,320 mm. BC, they say. So, you know, it, that could be the oldest it could be, mm. if, if that's true. And it's spoken, you know, to this yeah, day. Yeah, I think the a lot of the um, uh, Durban community in South Indian community in South Africa and in Durban uh, would consider themselves Tamil. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah Tamil yeah. spoken in India and Sri Lanka mainly. But oh. there's still 83 million speakers. And as I say, so the, there's, there's no proof for this. Mm -hmm. What there is with Tamil is there's some very old tablets. And then there are those tablets do talk about even older tablets or older things that may have happened. And so the earliest. Uh, predicted date that it could have been around was 5,320 BC, but the most recent is 8th century CE. <laughs> so, so that's we a hell it, of a range, it could be right? yeah, it's, it's it's some 6,000 years. So, so really, that's a that's a very general um, 
Yeah, we've got a very general sort of a thing there. there, there there's no there's no definitive answer. So so generally Sumerian is the answer. Generally Sumerian is considered the oldest language. It's a funny thing and it's a scary thing. I mean, the Romans uh ruled um a lot of the known world back then and Latin's gone. It's gone. Well, it's, well, it's it's ritualistic in in some Catholic ceremonies, hey. Essentially, essentially, that's what it is. It's now a, it's now a dead language that many people speak. You know, in legal societies, a lot of a lot the of words lawyers have come through. Yeah, yeah, but, but a lot of lawyers had to learn Latin okay. to try and understand the legal languages. So it's no longer a requirement in South Africa. I don't know if there's other parts of the world where it's still necessary to know Latin, but in South Africa, it's not. But yeah, it's it's literally now what um, what Sumerian was. When Akkadian took over in 2000 BC, mm-hmm. it's this kind of ritual language that people only really use, <laughs> like periodically, to sound fancy. Yeah, that's a nice fact. It's a lovely. Well, yeah, I mean, fact. it's a yeah. As I say, it's it's and I did I did Ryan it a bit. I apologize for no, that. not at all. Uh, no, wait no, 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 no. Wait till no, this I, next one. Oh, really? Are you gonna? <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna? No, I did Ryan it a bit. I, I didn't intend to Ryan it. You know, like I, I wanted a I wanted a real fact. <laughs> But it's it's difficult it's difficult when you've got a real fact based on an arbitrary timeline hey, to lie about it. You history know? will be gracious and merciful <laughs> to you. Do not worry. Uh, and our and our our viewers and our subscribers they're such nice people. They are. They yeah. are nice people. Yeah. Don't get a lot of hate. We want more hate. No, I want I want more of anything. I don't care what I get as long <laughs> as it's just attention. As long as it's like click liking and subscribing, that's good enough for me. Uh, <laughs> So a little dopamine kick in my brain, you know. We were in that uh, that origin of languages thing and the oldest language thing, and yeah. um, these poor people, these poor linguists, these cunning linguists, you know, ha ha ha. Um, they got quite a job on their hands, but it turns out that all languages in the world can somehow be traced back to families. Uh, a similar really, sounding people thing. in families used to speak. <laughs> you, you don't mean families of people. You mean no, families family of, languages. of languages. Like yeah. you get the Latin languages, yes, which like are like branch. Italian and Spanish, and like a branch. Yeah, but right, then it would Germanic go back. languages, which are like German, yes. and Dutch, and Norwegian. And, yeah, right. So it's like a, it's an umbrella with a lot of languages underneath it, um, and I think you know even Indo-European is actually one. Yeah, so that would be original, a massive, yeah, massive branch, crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, my fact is the 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 family group of languages with the most languages underneath it um, is actually proudly African and is called the Niger Congo family. That one has the most. Is this a Ryanism? You did you did warn me it might be a Ryanism. Might be. <laughs> you have gotten better at lying, Ryan. I'll give you that. This this podcast has taught you how to lie, which is good if you ever want to do a murder. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ever think about doing a murder. Ooh, yeah. Are you thinking about doing a murder? Um, I can't say right now. Oh, no, I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, I think you're talking nonsense. I think you're lying. I think... Um, you're not being proudly African, man. <laughs> He did a Jamaican accent. Oh, you're such a mess as a human being. Diaspora. Um, hey, man. Oh, you are so cancelled. Zion, come you're, on. You are so cancelled. Uh, <laughs> I know Basta Beer in Pretoria is going to cancel you. Um, <laughs> look. He's, he's, very, there, oh, he's very woke. He's very woke. Oh, nice. 
No, he's not a Rastafarian. Christo, Christo de Beer. Yeah, no, he's not. He's uh, he's a regular listener. All right, DM. sweet. So he'll he'll enjoy this this little shout out. It's not just about you, Michelle. Yes. <laughs> Sit down, Michelle. Yeah. Um yeah, so so I don't think it's that. I think it's I think it's probably India, I would guess is probably good. I mean India's like got Indo- hundreds European. of languages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as you say, that Indo-European is basically every language in Europe, all the you know all the, all the Middle Eastern language, ones. Yeah. Um Far, I mean, I mean you, you, yeah, I mean, how far did it stretch to, did, was there a correlation between the Chinese and the Indian uh, languages eventually? Because uh, massive amounts of people in that area of the world. Yeah, but we're not talking about the amount of people that speak it, right? We're talking about no, the number of number languages. Number of languages. Yeah. Mm. yeah, and the one thing China's famous for is that it's very few languages. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's got two languages, Cantonese and Mandarin. Yeah. So amongst a billion people. Um, because they, I mean, you know, dialects and but who knows? But yeah, I know about Cantonese and Mandarin as being. Oh, what you're saying is there's there's there might be others, but they. But when, they're not that's, officially that's the sanctioned. Thing is when does it become a language, and when does it just become a dialect, or when does it become a? Uh, those funny yeah, people talk so like that. you get that. that you get that discussion about about like Scottish, right? <laughs> like Scotch. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. You know, people who speak Scotch would say, would swear that it's a it's a totally different language, and when you 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 definitely, as an English speaker, would not understand a word there. I thought you go do it. Do it. Do it. I think what you're just doing is a drunken Glaswegian, but I'm like, yeah. But you're right. There there is a point where where guys do have their own individual languages, and and at what point does it become a language? You know, because also. There's something like eight thousand languages in the world at the moment. Yes, of which man. of which I think almost three thousand are officially considered dying. Right, as in they've got fewer than a thousand speakers. Shucks. So, yeah, I mean, South Africa's got a language where that only one person speaks. She wrote a book in it, um, a children's book in it. Um, yeah, and she's been given an award and whatever. But I think there's now a dictionary that she's worked on for it. So you know, it's it's going to be around. Just nobody's gonna speak it, which is awkward. <laughs> no, because she's also she's about ninety years old. Okay, you know, I mean, wow, huge kudos to her for for putting her. Yeah, sure. You know, for for for, for putting her language down onto paper. Shit. Yeah, there was a language in I think. In, Do you know where it where it leans? Is it sort of uh, of it's the koi? It's kind of like a yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's there was a language in Central America once where the last two speakers. Uh, hated each other, so they never spoke it to each other because they they were enemies, arch enemies, which is quite humorous. But yeah, we got a, we got like three thousand languages that are imminently going to die, um, and then and then six thousand others that that are, are thriving, I suppose, and and it's become a big movement now in a lot of places to try and teach people their local language and yeah. get them speaking. You know, I know in Cornwall, for instance, they've got their own language. That really? Been, yeah, that had been dying out, but now they've been doing this big drive to get people to speak it again and trying. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's numerous. There's little islands that uh, have got languages that my word, you know, they're all making it compulsory for yeah. the young to to learn how to speak these languages to try and keep them alive. Yeah, I mean, uh, when uh, President Ramaphosa opened his first parliament, he had a a koi, praising her. 
uh, which was really um, nice. Yeah, that's a that's a, a person, not a fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's very We're important. Very shy praising. Yeah, for people who aren't from South Africa, <laughs> for people who are from South Africa, that, that's not it's not like a giant goldfish. <laughs> ceremonial giant. He had a ceremonial giant goldfish. It speaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We shall now drink the sacred fish bowl. <laughs> Bring your straws, members of parliament. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, in fact, there's there's a move at the moment because Khoi is uh, not one of South Africa's eleven official languages. Oh, even though the national um, slogan oh, the is written arms. in Khoi, yeah, yes, the coat yes, of arms, yes. which is uh, out of the many, one or one of those things. Uni- yeah, yeah, unity, diversity, mm. right? So, so there's there's a big call to have it become an, uh, a national language, and then there's also a call to have sign language become a national language. All right, which is um, exciting. I think we, it's great. I love it. Yeah, it means we would go to thirteen. Ha! Yeah. Ha! Huh, take that, Top anybody! That. Yeah, trying to trying to chase us down. You Indo-Chinese, uh, Europeans. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're British. You're Americans. Palaics. I mean, Americans have got an enormous Spanish community sure. that they just will not recognize. You know, never mind the native population. You? Anyway, anyway where were we? We you were just some, completely sidetracked. You want some red state hate coming our way? Is that what you want? I, <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> Why do you have to make America great again if it's not shit now? Yeah. True or false, eh? It's false. It's false. Oh, no, no, no. You're wrong. Niger Congo is a language family spoken over the majority of sub-Saharan Africa. It unites the Monday languages, the Atlantic Congo languages, which share a characteristic noun class system, and possibly several smaller groups of languages that are difficult to classify. If added, Niger Congo would be the world's largest in terms of Member languages. The third. What you're saying is, if added, hang on. Where are you reading this from? If added, so it's not actually an official family group. This stuff is. What you're saying is, it's not officially a family group at the moment. It's got the most. Yeah, listen. Let me carry on. So essentially, essentially, because it hasn't been added. No, if valid. Oh, if valid. If valid. So you're saying it's not a valid family group. None of them are. (gasps) If valid, Niger Congo would be the world's largest in terms of member languages, the third largest in terms of speakers and Africa's largest in terms of geographical area. Huh. It is generally considered to be the world's largest language family in terms of the number of distinct languages, just ahead of Austronesian. Fair enough. Uh, although this is complicated by the ambiguity about what constitutes a distinct language. Hey, it's this moving I mean, target. I mean, I'm glad they included Austro in the Austronesian because obviously Australia <laughs> has got two official languages. They've got they've got English and Boggan. <laughs> Boggan is um is Oh, I'll throw us a tinny, mate. <laughs> 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 catch you back in Dugan on the uh, yeah, old back yeah. uh, Gravadubin. That's right. That's right. Gravadubin? Yeah, it's next to the Shimadingo. The Shimadingo. Um, I'm gonna get my miming to, to touch my wanga wanga. <laughs> um, oh, the final little thing. I challenge any Australian to tell us that their South African accent is better than that. <laughs> um, the number of uh, named uh, Niger Congo languages listed by Ethnologue is 1,540. That's a lot of languages. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, given that there's only uh, five thousand odd languages that are surviving and thriving. To have one thousand five hundred and forty of them mm, under one mm. banner is well, pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty sizable. That poor those anthropologists must be working their balls off. Eh? Sorry, what did you say? Sounds a bit different. What did you say? 
<laughs> what, is he, what, what you mean? You mean this, the bread? I don't. Bread? I don't think they leave That's it up to people different. from the British Museum anymore, Ryan. I think, <laughs> I think the people themselves <laughs> compare their languages and define the differences. Sort of like you've got the Kosa and the, and the Zulu. There's a lot of similarities, but it's mm. defined difference. You know, mm. like there's, defined, there's a defined difference. It's yes, two separate yes, yes. languages. Yeah. So I think that that wasn't determined by like. By a British guy with a clipboard. Mm -hmm. I say. Say that again, old chap. <laughs> old boy says again. I, I, I say, when you bow to our queen, you sound <laughs> awfully different to those other fellas. <laughs> I don't think that's how it's done anymore. <laughs> Almost certainly that's how it was done at some point in history. Yeah. But Yeah. Yeah. That's my fact. Um, good. Yeah, that's man. Good fact. Oh, so when you say that's my fact, does that mean please, please start talking about your fact? Well, uh, immediately. But you, you, you mentioned before the show began that you, you did take Zulu at school. I did. I took Zulu at school, and you, you know, like I learned some of it. Like I got a lot of words in my head, but can I speak it? Not really. And my Zulu teacher at the time, she was like, one day. You're going to regret not paying attention. And because, <laughs> like, not to me specifically, but to like the whole class. And because I was like 14, I was like, ah, I never regret anything. Life is great. I know everything already. Mm. Ah, I don't need this. She's right. I regret deeply not actually learning it at the time. But yeah. Because yeah, I've been so captivated by the Shaka Zulu series, but the one from 1986. Wow. It's on Netflix now. Man. Oh, it's, oh, it's, just the it's so good. one out. Yeah. I, I was just, I couldn't stop watching. I, you know, I, I'm a weird chap. I'm I'm not I'm not um, saying everyone's gonna dig it like me, uh, but I I couldn't switch it off, man. And it's on it's on Netflix. Yes, yes. And Henry Teller, his performance, his casting. Yeah, there's I, some you, magic in there. You know, the thing is, when it's you when you magic when I think back, because this came out in 1980s in South yeah. Africa. I was a child. Yeah. And um, there's something about that performance that I remember, and I haven't seen it since then. You it's know, it incredible. Must, it it's, must um, be good. It must be good. His performance is um because it's almost like uh history looks back at Shark as this uh is this sort of entity almost, a force, more than just yeah, a, yeah, like, but a, like, like Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah. And he embodies this um weird sort of alien presence. It's uh, frightening and formidable. So you you're frightened of him, but you admire him. Um, and his whole presence and his voice and his um, performance is amazing. You know, yeah, they're making a new one though, aren't they? They're yes, I think new... it's called Shaka Elembe, and it, I think it's on either Showmax or DSTV. Uh, but they got big shoes to fill or sandals. Well, that's controversial. No, well, no, Shaka he... famously did not like the Quite sandals, right? right? Like he didn't right. like the sandals. Yeah. Anyway, we're, we're getting distracted. We're, we're getting now. distracted. It's you, also now. All right, yeah. so, so my fact is uh, the language of cavemen is still spoken in some parts of Europe. <laughs> it's my fact. <laughs> right there, how about you? Oh, that's a ridiculous fact. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be a lot of absolute bollocks. Um, I mean, it's funny. I mean, firstly, how would they know what they spoke? And then these oaks are like, no, oh, no, it's us. Yeah, the cougars are caves. Okay. <laughs> no, but, uh, except in Serbia or some, some drunken mm. Serbian is going, come here, I'll show you this bar we go to. It's got cavemen speaking. No, it's got to be a load of, it's a nice try. I, I, you know, no, there's no ways you'd know that. There is no ways, unless it's some weird 
class from university, you know, for those tonight, we're going <coughs> to talk gonna cave. Learn, we're going to learn cave person. Yeah, and if you get it wrong, you're down and shoot with, her. Sign yeah. up for Neanderthal. <laughs> <laughs> Neanderthal 101. No, no, I'm um, going to say definitely false. Mm. Nice try there. I like, I like the fun in this. I like the comedy elements. It's fun. <laughs> but definitely false. I mean, it's true. No. Yeah, and here, let me tell you a story. Yes, no. All right. Have you heard about the Basque country? Uh, Spain. Yeah. Well, yeah. Northern Spain bordering yeah, yeah. Okay. Western Pyrenees, bordering mm. France and, oh, and, yes, and yes, Spain yes. Uh, on the Bay of Biscay. Okay. So, so historians believe the Basque have their own unique language. Really? Yeah, absolutely unique. It, it cannot be tied to any other European language in any way. Um, and historians believe that it's the language of that local area and that it's almost certainly um, the language that was being spoken by the people who, who etched the, uh, the drawings in the Altmera, Ekain, and Lasso caves because it's very much from that kind of area. So there are, there are historians that believe that this thing has derived from there and it's just been maintained because for centuries, the Basque managed to, to stop themselves from being invaded. You know, uh, they survived invasions by the Romans, the Visigoths, the Arabs, Good the Lord. French, the Spanish. It wasn't until the Middle Ages, 8476 to 1450, that the Spaniards, the Gascons, and the Catalans took over the area. In 1516, the Basques, uh, on the Spanish side of the Pyrenees, agreed to be part of Spain as long as they could govern themselves. And they've, they've maintained this language. And then, and then under General Franco, it was forbidden to speak Basque. And you had to, you had to start speaking local language. And, um, and the language nearly died out. But the Basques, like we were saying earlier in the podcast, have now got this really strong drive to bring it back. And everybody at school is, is speaking it. But yeah, the, the language Jeez. is called Euskera. It is, it is the oldest living language in Europe. Um, as I say, the, officially, the origins are unknown because it, it literally cannot be tied to any other language. It's, it's entirely, entirely separate. Um, but, but the historians are like, well, it's the language that's been spoken in this area for millennia. Um, the, I mean, they literally say that it dates back to kind of Neolithic times. Uh, and there's evidence that it could be even older than that. So, you know, you're, you're looking at basically the, the seeds of articulate language in, in ah. Basque. Um, but yeah, currently it's spoken by 37% of Basque people. They, as I say, they, they have this, this big drive now. Where, it's not, where a, all the not kids a bad amount. That's, yeah, yeah. But yeah, they've, got, they've got a big amount. drive now where all the kids at school have to learn it. So they're hoping by 2036 that... So basically everyone under a certain age will, will speak this language. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, this is a, a kind of an Ice Age language. There was a, a German linguist, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his quote here. His name's Theo Venemann. Uh, he, he's a professor at the Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. And he says, uh, all languages have their origins somewhere, probably in German though. No. <laughs> all, all the languages have their origins somewhere. Sometimes we do not know where. But in this period we are referring to here, Euskera came from nowhere else. It was already there at the time other languages arrived. So considered, Euskera is the oldest language in Europe. The rest are foreign languages coming from the East, along with the powerful, powerful people that impose their ways of speaking on the natives. Euskera is the only survivor of the European language family. 
Very nice. Yeah. German professor, very nice. <laughs> For a slight uh, moment that you jumped over the border into the Netherlands. But then you're, you right, you're right, you're right, you're right. I did. You I, did. I, I, felt, yeah, I, felt, I felt myself I felt myself doing that. Very, very Australian podcaster of me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so it's this Euro, unique. And, and in fact, in fact, the Basque have a unique culture. They've got the, your own unique traditions, their own unique gods, their own unique mythological creatures. They they really are. My word! Yeah, they're a standalone kind of race, and 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 people speak. You know, people are Basque on both sides of the Pyrenees, so there are people in France who speak the language, and people in Spain who speak the language. That's so yeah. I mean, it's it's an exciting part of the world, and if you if you want a place to go and travel to that's interesting, Basque country. That's amazing. Good. So the Pyrenees, like they would have had like same language but two people groups, and it's like, you know. This 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 year, Oaks, the party's at their place. It's all pull in. <laughs> Next year, we're hosting. It's a bit yeah, like yeah. Pucker versus Bloemfontein University. You know what One it reminded, year, what it reminded me of Pucker. quite a lot was Lesotho. Yeah. Because, you know, like Lesotho, I love I love Lesotho. Like Lesotho, basically, they had, they had this mountain been. kingdom, right? They, have you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So they had this mountain kingdom, mm. right? That they, they lived on top of a mountain kingdom. The colonialists came and were like, ah, fuck. These guys <laughs> live on, on the top of the mountain. We... We can't, we can't conquer them. Yeah, you know, like it's very hard to get our troops up there. It's very hard to get anything up there. Um, and then, then the the Sutu came and went. Listen, we aren't gonna fuck you guys up. <laughs> Just go around us, give us our independence. Particularly, go fuck up the Zulu. You know, if you if you would fuck up the Zulu for us, we're actually we're, we're chill. Just give us our own country. And the Basque sound very much like they handled their diplomacy the same way. You know, yeah. and like people just kept coming at them and they were like, listen, we're a mountain people. Leave <laughs> us the fuck alone. We're not interested in your shit. Like, just, just leave it. And they've survived. You know, to this day, Lesotho is surrounded by South Africa. Like it's it's a it's a country that stands alone and has its own independence because of that sort of diplomacy. Yes, brilliant. leave us leave us the fuck alone. We're just mm. chilling up here. Relax. Like it's fine. So is that a thing? A mountain people tend to be sort of left alone. No, eh? but I think it's also because they got the high ground. It's very mm. difficult to attack a mountain fortress. Yeah, you just have to throw the stone at the dude trying to climb right? up. Yeah, you just literally roll rocks <laughs> down there. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, very, very easy to defend the mountain kingdom. <laughs> I mean, probably Tibetans will argue that I'm wrong about this, but <laughs> but traditionally, a mountain kingdom has been easy to defend. <laughs> Yeah. So, so anyway, I, I'm definitely planning a trip to to the Basque country. Sounds amazing. Yeah. What are the foods like? I mean, hey, so so again, they, they, they do have specific. They yeah, they do have specific dishes like versions of paella and these sorts oh of things my that are. Golly. But, but that are unique, you know. Like they've got foods that are, are unique to their culture. So a goat, eh? But a goat, but a mountain goat. Why do you assume just because somebody lives in a mountain, they have to eat a fucking goat? Hey. Maybe they eat people, Ryan. Like, <laughs> have a bit of creativity. <laughs> You know, like, maybe they eat Catalinians. Yeah, <laughs> yum, exactly, yum. exactly. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> That'll teach you guys for not conquering us. We'll eat you <laughs> one at a time. Um, all right, my turn. And I did say we're going to move from the Basque country. I'm afraid we're going to have to go a little oh, bit no, north. Oh, no, tragic. I'm, I'm enjoying the trip there. I have to swim across the English Channel, <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> And I have to take you back in, in your time machine as well. You have to go back all the way to 1611. 
uh-huh. what was happening in in England? I mean, Elizabethan England, right? Um, oh, I'm afraid she died. Has she already died? Yeah. And when then, did she, when did she die? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe early 1600s. Because who was next, and what did he do? What big project? Uh, James the first. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the, the old King James yeah. version. Oh, of the, the Bible, Bible right? Yes, the Bible. We bring in the Bible. Bless you, Warren. I'm sorry, Johnny. Time you get exposed to the Bibles when I on the podcast when I read your scripture. <laughs> and um, oh, and normally people will get exposed to a lot more than the Bible <laughs> at church. <laughs> oh my um was i saying uh so here's a simple fact um psalm 46 of the king james version was written by william shakespeare what's what's psalm 46 let me hear it well i tell you what i will give it to you okay after you guessed because there's a funny little thing uh but my, my fact is they know for sure Psalm 46, sure. yeah, written by William Shakespeare. I mean, uh, you know, but about the King James project, lots of took a lot many years and uh, serious professionals about up to three hundred people working on things, translating things, and uh, all of that. So, stuff. so obviously, at the, at the time, like one of the things that King Henry was the uh, eighth, yes, was was kind of convinced about was creating a Bible. For local people, it was uh, Thomas Cromwell was was a big proponent to create yeah. a Bible for everybody. You got to, yes. you know, and um, it took a very, very, very long time. But obviously, the King James Bible was the first one that really like. Yes, there was a Tyndall uh, version, but I believe that was the New Testament, um, maybe Psalms and Proverbs, but was uh, based on the Latin Vulgate. Uh, so, but what the King James version was was. Um, Old Testament Hebrew straight into I'm English. very disappointed with King James because he was King James of, of Scotland yeah. first. You know, I mean, he was yes, King yes. James the sixth of Scotland That's and he right. became King James yeah. the first of, mm. of England. And I'm so disappointed he didn't do it in Scotch. Hi! <laughs> <laughs> only did come down from the mountain. Pissed as a lord. Oh, Pissed as a laird, sorry. Yeah. Pissed as a laird. And uh, he did he, he did say unto the people, Hi, you wee raj cunts. <laughs> <laughs> Thou shalt not... Son against your <laughs> yeah. mother or your father. Yeah. I'll clout you across yeah. the head. You hold your wish till you get a beaten. <laughs> <laughs> there should have been a lot more of that in the King James Bible. I would have been impressed with that. Um, uh, geez, uh, did Shakespeare write it? I mean, why would he be involved in that? Why? Why would he do that? I mean, it's such a lovely fact. I hope it's oh, yeah, true. Maybe I there's hope money it's going. True. Hey, there was a bit of money going as a writer. Maybe it was the down season. Oh, fuck. The last play didn't hit so hard. They are you know. asking me just to do Psalm 46. And they're offering. No, I probably two... shouldn't have done King Henry II or whatever it was. Phew, <laughs> <laughs> like, I should have gone back. I knew I should have gone back to the Titan, Titus Andronicus and milked that material instead of these. Oh, yes. No, I think that would have made money, eh? Ooh, that was nasty. Yeah, but the later ones, he got paid by the Ooh. royal family to document their history, right? Oh, so he, yeah. you know, oh, that, that, that stuff was was a lot more money than than selling five five penny tickets to the plebs in oh, the, right, the peanut gallery. And they loved you know? a bit of uh, Titus's exactly. exactly. Oh, vicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But so, so as you say, now he's retired to Stratford-upon-Avon. <laughs> his, his old wife is probably dead. And they come to him and they're like, listen, mate, we need something really poetic. This is a very important psalm. Because <laughs> I'm assuming it is an important psalm. 
I think, it's, a, I think this, it is lovely. This is a very important psalm, uh, Willie. We need you. We need you to write this. I don't really do psalms. I'm, I'm more of the you know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day type yeah, of a bloke. Yeah. Well, bring is, some is of that, that. Bring some of that to the, <laughs> to the psalm. Is, is, that, is that how this opens? Well, shall I compare thee to a Moses tablet? <laughs> um, yes. All right. Uh, he wrote it. Well, they they're not sure. There's the old rhinism. So they're not sure, but they suspect, man. And then people say, no, this is a lot of nonsense. But then there's like, hang on a sec. There's this one little piece of interesting tidbit. Um, <laughs> one one interesting piece of. Um, so there was a version called the Coverdale's version, um, but um, and and so the King James was based off of the Coverdale version in, mm. in its progression of that particular psalm. And in um, the word shake is, so he was in 1611 uh, when it was done, he was 46 years old. And the 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 forty sixth word of the yeah, psalm still is still a couple of years. I'm, yeah. I can be there. I could write the New King James Bible. Sure. So the forty sixth word of the psalm is the word shake, and uh, as in shake Muhammad. Yeah. Or, or, or like to shake the baby. Shake the earth. I think. I'll read oh, it. I'm read <laughs> not it to shake you. And the baby. Forty six okay. words from the end is the word spear, and he was forty six in sixteen eleven when it was done. And they think that this sort of Renaissance coding was very much alive and well. Um, uh, the shake is a 46. Uh, yeah, given it, you're right. Puts a spear in a 46 word from the end. Um, huh. And and it goes like this. It's quite nice. Yeah, as you put a scripture, because uh, you only get it like twice a year or so. Maybe it was just a fan of Shakespeare. Maybe. Because uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea though the waters thereof roar and be troubled though the mountains shake with shake the with the swelling thereof <laughs> selah that, that's hebrew meaning stop breathe rest i'm not sure what it means there is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of god the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and he cutteth the spear. Nonsense, isn't it? I mean, it's just nonsense. And like, well, Shakespeare, the Renaissance the, coding was a big thing back about, then. One of the Put th the code in there. 46, 46. He's 46 at 1611. Ooh. I mean, you sound like a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Taylor Swift fans are all like, what is Taylor trying to tell us with her new album? <laughs> what message is she sending us with her, with her latest tweet? Like, oh my word, Taylor turned 28 this year and she's releasing this album and perhaps we're going to see this thing and they, they connect all the codes. That sounds like that sort of drivel. Honestly, like the one <laughs> thing shake, about Shakespeare. Shake the earth. The one thing the about Shakespeare. Catch the spear. Yes, but let me tell you something about Shakespeare is that he was always very good with language and mm. very clear about his meaning. And that is just <laughs> words strong. It's word soup. That's nonsense. It means nothing. It means nothing. Why would they hire him to to do this one this one psalm? He either wrote the whole thing or he did nothing. 
Yeah, so, I'm a writer. I'll tell you what. Somebody comes to me and they're like, "Hey, do you want to write two psalms? It's two hundred bucks." I'm like, "Why aren't you getting me to do the whole fucking book?" I think I think if I dig deeper into did he, didn't he? Uh, I think you'll have quite a few learned folks on both sides of the of the great fence. Of the great um, I think it was a fan of William Shakespeare. That's a theory. That yeah. is a theory that I that I that I read because it's a monumental project, and he's by this stage. Probably retired and but a rock star. Retired at forty six. Yeah, he, he. I think I the, won't the, retire the by temp- seventy six. The Tempest was his last one, and I don't even think. I think he's in that in that place of early forties around there. Hey, and no, just so, falling apart. Like you know, he should have killed himself at twenty seven. Yeah, yeah. Like like great artists really should. Yeah, it just yeah. hasn't done the dishes for weeks. A fat belly, there's crumbs all over his things. Yeah, he's all Ben Elton at this stage. <laughs> yeah. you know, like ben Elton in the 80s was prolific. Young ones, Black Adder, like it was just just like a machine of comedy. Yeah. And now he releases these kind of pallid books. And you're like, oh, just quit, like William Shakespeare, Ben Elton. Just quit. Leave your leave your Oh, I, I I listened to the one um about a, a rock band. What was it called? I listened to the one audiobook, uh, High Society or something like that. Yeah. Because uh, high as in the weed. Mm. I think it was Ben Elton. High society does it ring a bell? It's possible. I think he's telling a sort of story, not story of like Oasis and, and those Oasis. Anyway, I mean, Ben Elton, he's done, a, he's done a lot of these kind of, some of them have been all right. Chart Throb was okay. It was a kind of a mistake of the reality. Like, uh-huh. yeah. But but what I, my point is that William Shakespeare was at that stage of his career where he wasn't writing anymore. He wasn't writing good stuff, but he still had to pay the bills. Yeah. He maybe was at the was, Ben Elton stage of his life and somebody the, came to him with a Bible. Say, hey, listen. You don't even have to be good. Yeah. Just write, just write the shit that's yeah. on the thing. Yeah. And he was like, "Sure, give, give me the two hundred quid. I'll, I'll write." Maybe the it shit. was thirty pieces of silver. Put my own name in it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Take the perceive. Yeah. Shake, shake the earth and and cut at the spear, man. Yes. I mean, honestly, you could find those words. The people who read that stuff into the Bible, you know, like the code words oh. and the Dan Browns. <laughs> Damaged people, Dan Brown. So I think like, he made a bucket of money though. Hey? Let's start decoding stuff, bro, and and make a murder mystery. You about write it. this bullshit Oof. theory as a as a <laughs> historical novel. You'll make a fortune. Shakespeare wrote the Bible. Shakespeare wrote the Bible. There's your title. He had to keep explaining to King James the first. We we, sir, sir, please. We can't use the phrase "we rag cunt." <laughs> but it's I the said Bible. It do it new, new. You bring, you bring me another bite. I'm not, I'm not interested in this in a shite. <laughs> what, what, what's the shakes the world of the, the spear? You're putting your own name in this. I want my name, my name all over it. <laughs> Yes, but we're going to call it the King James Bible, even though it's the William Shakespeare Bible. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no one's going to read it anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've already got the Elizabethan Bible and the Henry VIII Bible. Who gives a shite? <laughs> I don't care. Put your fucking name there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> man i do believe uh, it's your no son. it is definitely my turn and i want to talk to you i'm going to stay in the british isles oh nice for a fact that uh that maybe you've heard this before 
more people speak Klingon than Welsh. And if you don't know what Klingon is, Klingon <laughs> is the language of oh. the Klingon people of Star Trek. More people speak Klingon than speak Welsh. That's my fact. You know, the made-up language for Star Trek. No, man. Well, okay, Welsh, I know, is... Um, the, the only time I hear it is at the end of... Um, Bread of Heaven is one of my favorite I was about to hymns. say, when a choir yeah. sings yeah. a song. Bread of Heaven. And they sometimes open the a Welsh rugby match at uh, uh, Cardiff mm. with uh, like Bread of Heaven. And I think they'll they'll throw in a few Welsh lines at the end. Oh, the, 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 look, the Welsh, they love a choir. Yeah. But it's also like just because they're singing in Welsh, mm. do they speak it? You know, I mean, um, well, I remember my school, I went to a very posh English uh, private school. Mm, mm. Uh, we used to do a lot of songs in, um, in Zulu. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd learn all of those songs. And this was, I mean, to their credit, this was during the height of a party. Yeah, back but in the we day. Would, we would do progressive the, school, mm. progressive school. But we do all the songs in, in Zulu. And as I've already clarified on this podcast, I do not speak Zulu. <laughs> but this didn't stop us from, you know, I sing the national anthem. Um, and I know all the words uh, to Nkosi Sikaleli. But I don't speak enough Zulu to, to judge. Just because you sing a thing doesn't mm. mean you speak the language. Mm. Is essentially what I was saying. Sure. Yeah, but cling on, man. You know, come on. Um, and I know... Um, Prince Charles is the Prince of Wales. I got this he from was. the Crown. Yep. I got this from the Crown. He, Prince he, William is the is the Prince of Wales. Yes. When when Prince Charles was the oh. Prince of Wales, then um, he gave a few speeches in Welsh, oh. being the Prince of Wales. Nice. And he was taught Welsh by, uh, as part of his punishment as a teenager. He, he, <laughs> part of his punishment. <laughs> he had to go to Wales for a bit and actually get taught Welsh. Oh, well, I mean, um, that's good. Did they send him to Klingon to learn, <laughs> to learn Klingon? So I, I, I still, I do think there's villages where they would speak it and stuff. No, they definitely are. They definitely are. And so, no, the fact is that no. there are so many American community colleges offering Klingon as a subject that, in fact, now more people speak Klingon than speak Welsh. Uh, no, it's just nonsense. It's some frat party, you know, no, that's not an actual language. It's like playing Quidditch at university. I'm sure it happens. Lovely. Quidditch. It was in Pitch Perfect. No, you're right. They do. They do in, the, yeah. in the one scene of Pitch Perfect, they're playing Quidditch in the background. That's how much I love Pitch Perfect. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it's not a real thing. But nice try. Lie. So, so in fact, you're you're absolutely correct. Yeah. But what's so nice about you being correct is that it's a it's a it's known across the internet that more people speak Klingon than Welsh. What? Yeah, it's it's a fact. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a fact. thing that well, it's a thing that people quote to each other. Oh. They say more people speak Klingon than Welsh. More people speak Klingon than Welsh, it, and it isn't true. I went okay, and I, cool. I because of this because it is a it is one of those things that people share online. I went and I did some research. Turns out it originates from a joke on The Onion, who oh. said that there were more Klingon speakers in America than Navajo speakers. Oh, my word. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and ultimately what happened is that, that uh, an author looked at that, that particular joke and took it way too seriously. Her name was Arika Okrant. And she went away, I mean, probably Navajo herself. She went away and she sort of researched the thing. And she discovered there's only really a few dozen fluent Klingon speakers. Because <laughs> Klingon is a language. It's like a defined really? language. Yeah, it's been worked out on that kind of level that, 
you know, if you avoid certain topics and whatever, you can hold a hello, how are you, how is this going kind of conversation with somebody in Klingon. Um, she actually went to a gathering of Klingon speakers, and there were only 20 people at the conference, <laughs> uh, whereas 100,000 people speak Navajo, oh. uh, but somewhere between 100 and 200,000 people oh, wow. speak Navajo. So, so she she kind of... She went and she said, "No, this is this is absolutely not true." But in the meantime, the internet had morphed it, <laughs> the, this fact to being that more people spoke uh, Klingon than speak Welsh. So she'd done all her research. She was like, "Ah!" And they were like, "Yeah, but that's not what we were saying. We were saying <laughs> more people speak it than speak Welsh." And and also at the same time, the Welsh had been making a big drive to bring their language back, and they'd been oh, trying nice. to teach it to people and. Listen, Welsh never really reached that point where it was nearly about to die out. Let me let me be absolutely mm-hmm. clear about that. But but they they'd also gone on a drive where they started teaching it at schools and people became kind of proud of their national heritage. And now five hundred and sixty-two thousand people said that they speak Welsh on the latest census in Britain. So in fact, whereas fluent Klingon speakers, there's about twenty of them. Um and it is taught in community colleges, some community colleges and universities in America. Um that's crazy. It's vastly outnumbered by people who speak Welsh. So if you are on the internet and you are sharing this particular But they do fact, teach it in uh, some classes. They do share they do they do teach it, but very few people take it up, obviously. Okay. Okay. Um I think it's the kind of thing where you maybe take a year, can't really speak it, you never learn to be fluent in it. And you can say a few phrases or a few words or whatever. Imagine um, your parents take out a student loan and Yeah, it's like an back, easy credit, you know. Come back in the holidays. What are you what are you? Muck, 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 muck. Sorry, what did you just say? Was that Welsh? <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so so internet, you can you could officially consider this one debunked. Uh, nice. More people speak Welsh than speak Klingon. Yeah. Nice. You uh, did a, a thing. What was that TV show where they destroyed myths? Mythbusters. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very cool. I'll stay in the English Isles with you, and I'll go to the very beginning of of English. Um, uh, Geoffrey Chaucer, The Canterbury Tales, um, is generally thought to have been in um, the the first sort of written book in in English, and it contains um, what in like modern English, because I know I know the earliest kind of work in English was Beowulf. Yeah, but that's hardly English. No, I mean, From but it's, it's considered English. I mean, it's considered English, but it's it's like a poem. Yeah. So I suppose no, it's not, right, maybe yeah. is it not written or is it, was it a, well, this it a is, an um, oratory thing? But anyway, but no, yeah, you're right. Canterbury I mean, Tales Canterbury is Tales. a lovely little story about 30. It's not a lovely little story. It's a filthy story. 30 pilgrims <laughs> walking to Canterbury. And 50% of them tell stories about sex. It's a pretty raunchy book is and what it so is. Uh, they all tell two stories each, and so there are the Canterbury Tales is made up of sixty stories. Mm. Yeah, that's my fact. Oh, oh, I don't know. Do they tell a story on the no, way? No, they there? tell one. No, they tell one. And story. then they tell a story on the way they back. They tell one story. It's like the chef, the cook's story, or yeah, the, 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 the bishop's tale, story, the or the knight's tale. tale. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the one, yeah, you're right about the six. No problem, eh? <laughs> no, no, Phil. I mean, the one is like wall to wall dirt. <laughs> yeah, the one is like uh, there's some there's some dude who married a younger woman, uh, but he just kind of neglected her, and then. Um, she was climbing a tree to pick apples, and then uh, some other dude thought he'd go help her pick ap- 
bulls. <laughs> and while they're standing in the tree, they thought they'd have a bit of a, a dalliance. Like in the tree. A bit of a tryst. Yeah, and then tree. he was walking out going, where's me apples? Where's me wife? Can't find her. And meantime, his wife is having a dalliance right above his head huh. in a tree <laughs> with a chap. Scandal. I mean, you know what the thing is? The it's, it's, it's like if, if Barry, oh, Hilton, so like if Barry <laughs> Hilton's book survived. It's some kind of like, <laughs> you know, like archaic yeah. kind of thing that like for 5,000 years from now, they're like, this is a significant work of South African uh, cultural identity is Barry Hilton's book of jokes. Mm. And this is what every South African would have read back in the day. They would have all read it and they all would have enjoyed these particular clips <laughs> about women's fannies. <laughs> hey, my cousin. They were all related. Hey, they, they, all, they all were hey, related cousin. to each other. They, they, all, they all called each other cousin. It's very, very important for the etymology of the era. Yeah, I mean, that's that's largely what this book kind of strikes me as. It's almost like it's, it's like... You know those stories that people used to write into porno magazines in the eighties, you know, like the Hustler Corner or the Penthouse, Penthouse Letters. Oh, you know? yes. <laughs> like it's like it's like Chaucer collected thirty Penthouse Letters, yeah, and then he sold millions of copies of his smutty book, <laughs> <laughs> and that's why it survived because he sold many. It's like if Dan Brown survived because there's just a sheer volume of his garbage <laughs> like that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know. Um, so yeah, nonsense. It was one story for each person. Um, okay. You'll get the point cause it's nonsense. Um, but sadly, it, here's what the plan was. And it even states that in the beginning that everyone's going to tell four stories, 30 pilgrims. And so we'll have 120 stories. And he got to 24. I, I think then he maybe died or he just got lazy, but there's 24. No, he was, he was already cashing in. <laughs> he was already cashing in. All the ladies wanted to have dalliances in the apple tree. <laughs> but no, I remember it. I remember it. it was like the knight's tale, the this tale, the that tale. And I yes. don't remember any duplication. That's why, I mean, it doesn't matter what the plan was. Yeah. It's, it says uh, in the general prologue, some 30 pilgrims are introduced. According to the prologue, Chaucer's intention was to write four stories from the perspective of each pilgrim to each on the way to and from their ultimate destination, St. Thomas Becker's Shrine, making for a total of about 120 stories. Although perhaps incomplete, the Canterbury Tales is revered as one of the most important works in English literature. So take that to your, your cousin thing. The Canterbury Tales. <laughs> no, no, what I'm saying is if, if a book lasts important. a thousand Look, years. Barry's thing will if be. If Barry's book but, lasts a thousand years. I told years. you, write down my gags. This thing's right. going to. If that lasted a thousand years, people would look back and go, very important document. <laughs> very important historical document teaching us so much about South African life. Yeah. So Canterbury Tales is a collection of 24 stories that runs to over 17,000 lines written in Middle English by Geoffrey Chaucer between 1387. So way before Shakespeare and uh, 1400. We're talking about yeah, yeah. 200 years before. It is widely regarded as Chaucer's magnum opus. The tales, mostly written in verse, although some are in prose, are presented as part of a storytelling contest by a group of pilgrims as they travel together from London to Canterbury to visit the shrine. Uh, the prize for the contest is a free meal at the Tabard Inn at Southwark on their return. That's lovely. I mean, you have to, you have to tell four stories for that lousy prize. Anyway, um, it is uh, what I would what I would say is is um, why I find it significant is it has been suggested that the greatest contribution of the Canterbury Tales to English literature was the popularization of the English vernacular in the mainstream. 
So ah, there we are. it's okay. got a theme even leading into my next fact. The English vernacular. Chaucer oh. did it. Well, yeah. I, I don't want to hear about your, your next fact because I, I so neatly swapped to my, my next fact. Fine. Um, with that, with that beautiful thing because I want to talk about a guy by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. Ah, uh, yes. Who's also something of, you know, a literary guy himself. Um, yeah. A thousand years from now, if his books survive, people will say elves. They were very important <laughs> to the people of England in the 1950s. But my fact about him is that Tolkien invented 15 complete languages for the Lord of the Rings. Just like. Just like. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> become completely. That is a South African accent. And the King Elf went, just like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the King if, if you are an Australian, listen to that, just like. It's very important you get that right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the aliens are coming here. <laughs> District uh, 9. Murala. <laughs> the aliens come. Hey, move here. <laughs> okay, but yeah, he invented 15 complete languages. That's my. Um, that's too much. That's ah, definitely too much. Interesting. I may have given away too much. I do know. Um, like either the story I heard was uh, he had a little bunch of crazy friends. Maybe C.S. Lewis was part of it, and they would talk about mystical places. All right. And, well, let's, let, let me let improvise me, stories, and then uh, a language was developed. No, 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 no. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know where you heard that because that's entirely not. I mean, it's not correct. So, you mean so, so the club. J.R. Tolkien was. Uh, by the way, your fact is false. Fifteen's too much. That's my fine. Oh, oh, all right. Okay. But tell all me, right, tell all me, right, tell fine, me. fine, fine, fine. But let me, let me, let me sort of leap into it. J.R. Tolkien was a guy who, I mean, clearly very intelligent with languages. His mother Mabel uh, introduced him to Latin, French, and German, and later he studied ancient Greek and then Old English, Norse, Gothic, Welsh, and. Finnish. Yes, like. He was also familiar with Danish, Dutch, Lombardic, Norwegian, Russian, and Serbian, Swedish, and all the forms of Germanic and the Slavonic yes, languages. Like maniac. So this is this is what he spoke. And he invented his first language at the age of 13. Uh, he'd written two languages by the time he was 20. Good. He, he had an absolute obsession with the idea of where do words come from? Oh. Like how do they, what, you know, where do they derive from? Um he said in a letter to Houghton Mifflin, and I'm going to quote him here, the invention of languages is the foundation of my fictional writings. The stories were made rather to provide a world for the languages than the reverse. To me, a name comes first and the story follows. Oh, I should my have preferred word. to have written The Lord of the Rings in Elvish. So, so he, that was his thing. He, he loved making up languages and he loved the etymology of languages and how I, I don't know whether etymology is the right word, but he, he loved he loved the development of a language. He loved kind of seeing where a language came from and how it developed and what words it took from other words, other languages, and how how it kind of expanded like that. So when it came time to to write Lord of the Rings, he he wrote it entirely from the perspective of I've developed these languages. Now, who were the people that wrote these languages? And he tinkered with his languages from the age of 23 until he died. He literally changed them. He adapted <laughs> them as he as he wrote stories about them, as he kind of introduced stuff, the languages would be adapted and changed. So it's quite difficult to know exactly how many languages he invented. You, you say it's, I mean, it's nonsense, but <clears throat> there are people, there are sources on the internet that do say that he invented 15 languages for Lord of the Rings. Wow. Um, I am prepared to give you your false, though. Oh. I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you the point because um, there, there's a fan site, uh, and I owe that guy a shout-out. Uh, he's called Ardalambian. 
he analyzed uh, Tolkien's invented languages and he, he looked at the question of how many languages did Tolkien actually write. And according to him, the answer is anywhere between two and 20, depending on how permissive you are when you define a language. I see. Yeah. So if you consider the historical versions of the tongues that are relevant to the classic mythos of the, uh, like the, the, the Arda mythos in, mm. in Tolkien, uh, Tolkien developed at least two languages that are usable in the sense <laughs> that he composed them. You're capable of having a conversation with them. They're long texts in them. Um, he named roughly eight to 10 other languages that have a minimum of actual substance, but aren't usable in day to day. You could, if you wanted to have a very structured conversation like Klingon, mm -hmm. you could do that. So that's somewhere between eight to 10. He provided fragments of at least four other languages. And he alluded to numerous other languages that are entirely fictitious or have known vocabulary of only a few words. Okay. Yeah. So, so depending on how permissive you are, I'm prepared to, to, to give you that. But like across Tolkien fandoms, they mm. say he invented 15 languages. Wow. Um, so, but, so, so among these languages are Quenya, Teleran, Sindarin, Adunic, Westron, Rohirric, Kuzdul, Entish, Valerian, Black Speech. Only, only two of them uh, are Quenya and Sindarin are, are developed to the point that you could have a conversation with them. Um, and, and what I love, and, and this is because of my personal history, but what I love is that Quenya is based on Finnish. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he, he had a real love for Finnish. Like he, he said, um, he, desc he described the thing about discovering Finnish. He said, he said um, when he found his very first Finnish grammar book, it was like entering a complete wine cellar filled with bottles of amazing wine of a kind and flavor he'd never tasted before. Oh, wow. He said Finnish morphology, particularly its rich inflection of inflection, gave rise to Quenya. And then his other favorite language, we've already discussed this evening, was Welsh. And, uh, oh, wow. and, and he said that that one, he used the phonology and things to create Sindarin. <laughs> so those are the two languages that you can converse in from Tolkien's books. So sure. Sindarin and Quenya, um, which are both elven, elven languages. But yeah, he was, he was a fascinating guy and absolutely, like as I say, obsessed with, with language. So when he had these discussions with... Um, uh, the C.S. Lewis about mm. the Narnia books, they were both professors and they were both in English uh, uh -huh. and language, but but they had totally differing points of view. Tolkien was interested in real mythology and real language and how to develop that into a story. And C.S. Lewis was just like he saw the money that Tolkien was making. He was like, <laughs> sweet. And he wrote he wrote the Bible as yes. a fantasy story. Yes, so yes. So he basically just took the took the whole Bible story. Yeah. And just, transposed it into a fantasy setting with fantasy and he made stupid money and it's actually the reason the two of them fell out oh really because Tolkien was like you don't you don't respect this thing you don't like you don't care oh wow yeah yeah you're just writing this and C.S. Lewis was like no my, my point is to bring people to the bible story that's mm. what I care about yeah and obviously uh J.R.R. Tolkien was he was not into into religion as much so he was like, but that, that's not the point the point is it's the language and the mythology and building a world and yeah. And C.S. Lewis was, ka-ching, baby! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I liked about um, the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a whole reason why the movies franchise kind of stopped. And it's partly because of the Chronicles of, of Narnia, what they are. Is it's um, the order in which they written and released is not the order in which yes. they, they, they fit into the little puzzle. 
So I think the magician's nephew is actually the creation of the world. Mm, yeah, you have to jump back and forth like, in the yeah. story. So it gets a little crazy like that. And that's why um, the stories are so vastly different that it didn't follow nicely. Uh, I have watched the movie The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I've read all seven, and then, but I haven't watched Prince Caspian or The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. But after that, they, yeah, they, but, but, they but stopped. Now, like contrary to that, Tolkien's world because it was based on actual mythology and actual language and actual yeah. like, and a continued story. yeah. There, I mean, there are people yeah. that that will be able to tell you, um, you know, the deep history of this, the mythology of his world, and the the development of the languages. Because when, when you try and research this thing, it's quite funny because the, they have to give you a history of how the languages developed in Middle Earth. Well. It's not called Middle Earth at the point where the languages develop, but they have to talk about in in his in J.R. Tolkien's you know books how yeah. how these languages developed, and then they have to tell you the story of how he wrote them in the real world because it's it's this kind of crossed over, and it's so interesting they've each got their own developmental story because he was so into it. He was so Jeez, that's cool. Yeah, so interested in language. So there's a lot of behind the the author and a lot of like foundation. The, the the books are really built on a foundation of other yeah and other, of... and other mythology you know the names of uh the characters in lord of the rings come mm. from from ancient mythology sure. he, he was he was really really and as i say up to the day that he died he was he was still tinkering with his languages and still adding stuff and it was a thing that he started doing as a child you know so he just it became the theme of his life and the book was like an incidental benefit <laughs> to to this strange language obsession and then you yeah. had the four children in the Chronicles of Narnia in the Lion, the Witch, and the Robber. Paul, Jane, <laughs> Sally, right. and Peter. Okay. No, no, he literally <laughs> fell out. Like C.S. Lewis and him. C.S. Lewis and him. They were good friends and they fell out because they had this totally different, like, you just couldn't understand C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was like, yeah, I am fucking money. <laughs> also, I'm teaching people about the Bible. It's fucking great. And talking about, this is not. What is that? It's Sardinian. It means fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's some sources online that say that, that Tolkien spoke 35 languages, which I mean I can't find any any information for. The ones the ones I listed are the ones I know he spoke and the ones he was kind of interested in. But yeah. I mean, it's certainly an interesting Potentially crazy motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, I must confess, I've only ever done The Hobbits. Um, oh, bad, my eh? God. But listen, gonna, I'll listen. do it. I'll do it. I'm going to get into it. Listen. There's a fight, Return of the King. It's yeah. a difficult go because a lot of it is just... I believe there's Frodo a lot of walking. And Sam, yeah, it's Frodo and Sam Fine. walking a lot. I like walking. I read them all. I was in, I was in Standard 5, which was grade 7 now. Wow. Um, and you slogged through, eh? No, I got pneumonia. Oh, I got pneumonia and I was off school for like three weeks. Okay. And I read most of them in the oh, three wow. weeks. Just, But I remember book three being like, whoo. <laughs> You're just walking, right? You're just, you're just fucking walking. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think, I don't think uh, people these days are, are equipped with the, 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 the concentration. Yeah. You the push on. Also, not only that, but also the lack of uh, distraction. Mm. That reading that book took, you know, mm. like like having a phone or TV mm. there with with 
we had to wait to specific hours of the day to watch shows, you mm-hmm. know, watch TV shows. Oh, yeah. TV wasn't on all the time. Appointment you, viewing, man. Yeah, you got to watch very marked commercials for <laughs> most of the day. So, so yeah, you actually had plenty of time to read undistracted. Mm. So I'd imagine that even getting through the director's cut movies is, is a difficult one these days. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, like uh, yeah, it's it's worth reading. It's really good. Just skip all the Tom Bombadil shit. Uh, this is again, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, you're not gonna attack me. But the Tom Bombadil shit in the first book is just skip that. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, uh, I loved your um J.R. Tolkien one. Uh, but I'm gonna go back to the previous one where I was talking about um. The vernacular of English. Yes, yes. Uh, but someone who is the father of sort of the vernacular of Italian, uh, Dante. I talk about Dante. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah the, hey, listen. You talk about Dante guy. like I talk about guillotining. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. That's good. He, um, uh, it, was a, it was actually a translation because the first version was in Latin of uh, La Commedia, the Divine Comedy. So it's a translation from Latin into Italian. Oh, you're, you're you're saying this is a real fact? Yeah, this is a fact, yeah. I haven't been keeping careful track, but I don't believe you've used up your lie yet. And I would like to say that you're using up your lie. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to write a book in, in Latin? That's madness. Oh, no, no, no. This, no, it's uh, madness, Ryan. No, um, it's madness. This was around like 12. No, Ryan, my answer is you're lying and that's my final answer. I'm going to okay, do what you, you did you wanna, to me with the Tolkien one. You want to say I'm lying? Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I, I, I want to say it was written in 1295. Okay. Still a liar. A goddamn liar. Um, and what I can tell you is you're right. It was a lie. <laughs> um, he's a hero in Italy because of the Italian vernacular. It's because of, uh, of Dante that we've got words like... Spaghetti arrabbiata. <laughs> no, genuinely. Italian. It's the, he was the father of the Italian language. Oh, it was all Latin. Okay. And he wrote La Commedia, you know, published in Italian. Um, Dante is known for establishing the use of the vernacular in literature in a time when most poetry was written in Latin, which was accessible only to educated readers. His uh, Duvalgari Eloquentia on eloquence in the vernacular was one of the first scholarly defenses of the vernacular. He uses the Florentine dialect for works such as uh, The New Life and Divine Comedy um, helped establish the that modern must have been day like shooting fish Italian in a barrel. language. Can you imagine? No one else is writing a book in the language that everyone speaks. So you must I, be like, right. you must be like yeah, here is this fucking cash cow right yeah. here. Like it's, uh, These guys, the guy, <laughs> these are the shit that they speak out. It's bullshit. Uh, these guys. You're saying you wrote it for the mafia in the 1920s <laughs> American movie. Is that what you... <laughs> so, by, but listen to this impact of his work. Um, so what did I get up to? Florentine dialect. Um, modern day use of the Italian language. By writing his poem in the Italian vernacular rather than in Latin, Dante influenced the course of literary development, making Italian the literary language in Western Europe for several centuries. Sure. Yeah. Oh, well, there Dante's you go. Dante's the dude. I don't go to his grave as a pilgrimage. Oh, yeah. Hey, I mean, obviously guy. you will. I love him. He's so... Mwah. Yeah, I'll just go to Paris to go see where they guillotined people. <laughs> it's the uh, difference between you and I, right? pilgrimage. <laughs> I'm finally here. <laughs> 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 
you pay a hundred euro, you can guillotine an immigrant. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> like he's launching a sales, like you're a sailorman. Oh, guys. Yeah, no, no. It does seem to be a theme. You've got a few, though. You've got a few themes. Yes, yes. Alexander uh, the Great, the other Alexander, one. Alexander, yeah. Dante, maybe the Beatles here and there. Yeah. 80s pop. <laughs> Tom, love Tom. Are we are we on to multiple we choice? We are. We are. My multiple choice is so simple. So is mine. So simple. It's really like it's an easy one. Like, subscribe, share. Um, yes, it is. And, and all of three of those. Yeah, yeah. Same all right, here's mine. Which of these English words, all letters written in the lowercase, <laughs> is not an ambigram? So you uh, need to know uh, what an ambigram is. But you can maybe work it out all based right. on this. Okay. okay. Which of these English words, all the letters written in the lowercase, is not an ambigram? One, sons. Two, dollop. Three, swims. Four, yoga. <laughs> I love this note. That's great. <laughs> I mean, I thought, okay, I'm going to yell all four. That'll give me a clue. Heard all four. No clue. <laughs> Suns, dollop, yoga, and swims. Swims. Ambigram. Ambigram. Ambi two. Right. Gram. I mean, that's measurement. Also... Two, a measurement of two. So maybe that it came from two words. Suns, dollop, yoga. Oh, maybe it's like and swims. Oh my word! No, you see, you can maybe work it's it like out. a yoga rubber dabba dabba da. I think you can and work it out. Yeah, they just took the first two um, syllables, yoga. But swims is one syllable. Dollop, swims, dollop, yoga. Sun's also one syllable. Yeah. Yeah, bugger. Which is not an ambigram. Okay, well, you got dollop, yoga, suns, and swim. Ah, oh, that's like it's not bad. Okay, I'll say um. Swims is the odd one out. So suns, for some reason, maybe comes from a longer word than suns. But swims is just swims, man. It just swims. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm I'm not gonna do the What's thing. What's an ambigram? I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna do the thing where I break this down. Ambigram is a word that can be read the same if seen from a different angle. So you know, like Ohio. If you look at the word Ohio oh, in capitals yeah, yeah. sideways, right? It's O H I. Yes. And O. And if you tip it vertically. The H becomes the, the the I, and the I becomes the H, and so you read it the same way, right? So that's why I had to I had to specifically say letters written in a lowercase. In this case, all of the words are, are flipped 180 degrees, so they're all upside down. So if you look at all of these words upside down, they all say exactly the same thing. Suns, dollop, swims are all ambigrams. Yoga is the false word. So, so there you are. If you just, if you just put, take them all in the lower class, you flip them upside down, they look exactly the same. Oh, that's funny. And, and actually, I mean, it's one of these things where quite often they develop calligraphy that can make some words look like ambigrams that aren't necessarily ambigrams. But yeah, in this and case, any, if you take any, any kind of writing in the lowercase, and you flip it 180 degrees, all of those three words will be ambigrams, but yoga will not. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a lovely multiple choice question. Mine is, uh, as you know, the English, uh, the bastards, they stole a lot of things from other countries. Aye, they did. And they stole, <laughs> They're uh, all in the British Museum. Yeah, and they stole a lot of words. Uh, which of these uh, phrases or words were stolen from India? Okay. Uh, hoi polloi, bungalow, hullabaloo, fracas. 
Huh. One of them was stolen from India. Hoi polloi, bungalow, halabaloo, fracas. <laughs> My word. This is difficult. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to say the fracas, fracas is French, I'm guessing. Or hoi uh, polloi. Uh, uh, I'm more Polynesian, I would guess, if I was, you know. Um, bungalow. 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 You know, when you first read them, I was like, it's Bungalow. It's got to be Bungalow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was the other one? The other one was? Halabaloo. Halabaloo. You know why I'm leaning towards Halabaloo? It's literally a Rudyard Kipling thing. It's literally the name of the bear, right? <laughs> it's it's Baloo, right? Like it's it's Baloo. I'm going with Hullabaloo. <laughs> literally based on Rudyard Kipling. <laughs> Did you get me? Uh, the answer is Bungalow. <laughs> oh! Oh my word! Oh my word! So Hoi Poloi actually um, just comes from Greek. It means many. Hoi poloi, uh, many, oh, and, yes, and, right. and but it's come to uh, not not the many, also more the masses. Yeah, right. The hoi poloi, hey, the hoi poloi. Yeah. Um, is a bit of a probably a nonsense word, maybe Scottish, um, yeah. but also maybe the hunting. Hello, and then they try back. Hello, make sure they don't <laughs> shoot the do. Hello, hello. I think there's a bit of a okay. tradition there. Hello, Fracas is indeed French, very nice, which means a raucous noise. Um, and uh, bungalows Bengali, indeed. Liter literally, like as you read it, I was like, it's a bungalow. You should, I should just stick with the <laughs> thing rather than let my brain it's, get in the way. It's that whole, my... like, uh, yeah. are you sure you don't want to change your mind? It's that whole, yeah, yeah, it's that game dancey, theory, right? Yeah, yeah game yeah. theory. Anyway, this was, this was great. Languages. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for, for thank joining you. us. Yes, and Huyanant in Tutsins, Salahantle. That suits you. Nice. Nice, eh? Nice. Oh, and and Salagatle, Zulu, isn't it? No. Isn't it? Sunstudians, eh? Hola! Soy Dora! Bye, join us next time. Bye! Bye! -bye. <laughs>